In the book of Daniel that we just finished that series, last week we looked at, at God's kingdom people living in this world and facing opposition. And so throughout the rest of the summer and early fall, uh, when I'm preaching, we'll be looking at a parable of Jesus, uh, a different one each of those Sundays, as Jesus teaches about his kingdom. We begin with the parable of the sower that you'll find in Mark chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to tease beside the sea, and a large, very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? And the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. But those who were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold, God's word will not return void. Let us pray. Father, as we look to this, your story, your parable, your teaching about your kingdom, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and ears to understand what you would have us know about the irresistible coming of your kingdom. For Jesus' sake, amen. You may be seated. Before I went off uh, to seminary, I worked as a bench chemist in a laboratory. And the, the primary investigator or the Ph.D. supervisor over our, our lab was an interesting uh, fellow. And he was your typical uh, secular scientific type who was very, very skeptical of anything to do with Christianity 
and the Bible. And so as I got to know this individual, I quickly formed an opinion of him that he will be among the least likely to ever get in the kingdom of God. And maybe you know someone like that. It could be someone in your family. It could be someone at your work, your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone that you met here at church. Who knows? But here's the question I would have for us. Is there ever a heart that is too hard for God to work and bring about salvation and bring them in to his kingdom? The parable of the sower is the first parable that is recorded in the gospel of Mark. And there's some that focus on the soils in this parable, and so they would rather this parable be entitled the parable of the soils. And I think it's very legitimate for us to look at these four different types of soil and and think about people and think about the differentiation of, of receiving the Word of God and all of that sort of thing. That's legitimate. But if that's our only focus we will miss the main point in my judgment that Jesus is seeking to make here. Because this parable is about the sower. It is about the seed being broadcast broadly and liberally. It is about the sower or the farmer plowing and the seed taking root and growing and producing a vast, vast Harvest. It's about the kingdom of God irresistibly coming, irrespective of the hardness of men's heart. So today we'll look at three things about this parable, the particulars of the parable, the purpose of parables, and then the point of this parable. So the particulars of the parable, we, we see the details of the story that Jesus told in verses uh, 3 through 9. In fact, such a large crowd had gathered there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus had to get in a boat. And so this may be one of the few times that a pulpit has ever been a boat, but it was in Jesus' day as he was there preaching offshore to those on shore uh, from this boat. And the story is about a sower that sowed seed, and the seed fell on these four types of soils. And we know this story very well, don't we? The first type is that hard, compacted soil that one might find on a pathway. I like to think of it as as maybe a sidewalk. It's just that hard so that when the seed falls upon this particular ground, there is no way in the world, from a human perspective, that that seed is going to take root, germinate, and do all those things and grow and produce a harvest. It's like sowing on concrete or asphalt. And then there's this other soil that's a very shallow soil. It's a soil that probably is about a quarter of an inch deep, and there's bedrock underneath. And so the seed is sown there. And the minute one little thing happens wrong, what did take root is just simply eradicated. And so the first sign of trouble There is no longer any production of that 
So it's a very short-lived thing. And then thirdly, it's this, this seed that's thrown in this, this plot of ground that's just covered with thorns and thistles and weeds and all of that sort of stuff. I know something about weeds. It's amazing to me how that at some point this summer, my Bermuda grass in my front yard will look very, very brown because at some point it will need water and God has chosen not to give it from the heavens and I don't want to spend the money uh, to water from the spigot. But what's always, this happens every year, what always amazes me is those rascal weeds thrive. They grow, and they don't seem to be all that bothered by the lack of moisture. And if not dealt with, they will take over. Now, maybe I'm the only one that's experienced weed problems in yards, but I know something about weeds. And so here, now we don't have weeds on the lawns here at Covenant Presbyterian Church because of the one who takes care of our grounds is so skilled, right? Now, this seed that's, that's sown in this ground germinates and roots, and you've got a little bit of plant, but the weeds come in and just, it just chokes, chokes the life out of it. So it doesn't produce a harvest. Then, of course, you've got the forest soil, which is prepared seed. It's placed there, germinates and grows, and produces a harvest, this, this incredible harvest. And so that's the, those are the particulars of the story. And then Jesus ends. This is Jesus' conclusion. Jesus must not have read Haddon Robinson's uh, preaching book or Brian Chappell's book on preaching because he ends like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus leaves. He goes away. And he's spending time with his disciples. We'll get to that in, in verse 10. But I, at first glance, this ending is really odd. And I'm sure the people are going, okay, Lord, what's, what's the point? Where's the application? What am I to do with this story that, that you have, have told? And yet this ending is not so odd when we look at it in the context of what, what we read in verses 10 through 12, about the purpose, the second point that we'll deal with today, of parables. Before we get to the purpose, let's just simply define parables. What are parables? And the late Dr. Jim Boyce, I think, has one of the simplest, best, helpful definitions of a parable. And here's his definition, a story taken from real life or real situation from which a moral or spiritual lesson is drawn. And there may be multiple truths that are taught in parables. They're very dynamic. They're multifaceted. But a parable is not an allegory. When we think of an allegory, we think of a story that has a one-to-one correspondence. The elements of the allegory has, has a specific meaning. So think of Pilgrim's Progress. When John Bunyan wrote that, everything in Pilgrim's Progress has some meaning to it, every element of that wonderful allegory. But parables don't operate like that. There may be elements or aspects of a parable that's just simply a detail of the story that doesn't really have any particular meaning, and so therefore we have to be careful 
with how we interpret these, these parables. So what is the purpose of parables? Before Jesus explains the parable of the sower, which he will do in verses 13 through 20, he gave the purpose of using parables as a teaching tool in verses 10 through 12. So why did he use this form? And I think one answer to that question is simply this. Through parables, Jesus proclaimed the origin, nature, realities, and victory of his kingdom that has broken forth into human history. The, The meaning of these parables is bound up in these historical and redemptive elements that always point to this. The kingdom comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But there's also another reason that Jesus used parables. In verse 10, obviously, the disciples were puzzled. They said, Jesus, why why are you using these parables? He had told many parables, apparently. And so they're trying to get Jesus to say, tell us, Lord, why are you telling these stories that seem to leave people hanging, trying to figure out the point that you're seeking to make. And then Jesus says this in verse 11, that in these parables, Jesus says, I am revealing secrets of the kingdom. And he says this to you, disciples, and I will say this to all of Jesus's disciples, including you and me. And so there's an interesting component then to parables. They reveal truth and they conceal truth. And the question that we need to ask, why is one then able to grasp the truth, the meanings that are contained in these parables? And the simple answer is they have ears to hear. They have eyes that perceive. They are insiders. They're in the kingdom or soon to be in the kingdom. They have been divinely enabled to understand what Jesus is saying about the irresistible coming and realities of his kingdom. They understand that in Christ the kingdom has come. In Christ there is entrance into the kingdom. In Christ there is life now and forevermore as a child of the kingdom. And as we reflect upon these words that Jesus spoke... The purpose of the parable, our minds should be going to two doctrines in particular. They're very closely related. We've already read about one this morning. We always talk about the other one, (laughs) and we should. It's the doctrine of divine election and the doctrine of effectual calling. In divine election, we looked at this last week a little bit, that look at passages like Ephesians 1, Romans 9, that God, God ordains to save some out of sinful humanity. And he not only ordains uh, to save them, he appoints the time that they will, they will receive saving faith. And he also sovereignly establishes the means to go about saving his elect people. And one of the means, there are several, but one of the means is this doctrine called effectual 
callings. Let me just describe this very quickly. The confession does a wonderful job of that. I would commend you reread that that part of the confession after the sermon today, please. And really dig into what does it mean? And we we find that God has or, God ordained Tim Reed to come to saving faith. God appointed a time for Tim Reed to come to understand the depth of his sin. I always understood I was a sinner. I just didn't understand how sinful I was. And at one point, I came to really understand that, and that I couldn't live the Christian life in my own strength. I needed a Savior, and He brought me to see the depth of my sin, that if I don't have a Savior that is beyond me, that is a perfect Savior, I am lost in sin and bound for hell. And then He showed me Jesus, the Savior. And so that all took place because God had worked and changed my heart at some point in my life, gave me a new heart, regenerated my heart, took away the heart of flesh, as we read from the confession, and gave me a heart that can understand the gospel. He gave me spiritual eyes to perceive, spiritual ears to hear the free offer of the gospel. He did that. And when I confessed my sin the first time and truly trusted in Jesus, it was a response to what God had already done. And that's effectual calling. Saving faith coming about because of the work of God in regenerating sinners. And let's just look at Ephesians 2, the, the second part of verse 3 and 5. Because here Paul basically says this. Paul says all of us, all of, Paul includes himself, all of us in the church, all of you, all, me, all of us know. Now in the kingdom, Paul says, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. Made us alive together in Christ. Changed our heart. United us to Christ. Gave us saving faith. Justification, sanctification, and one day glorification. And so here's the point. This parable and the backdrop is this beautiful doctrine of election and God effectually calling his elect in, into his uh, kingdom. But the parables not only reveal those things, part of God's means to gather his elect into the kingdom through effectual calling and that results in saving faith, but it also conceals. The text before us today talks about those outside. There are insiders and there are outsiders. The outsiders lack regeneration. They, they, they lack divine election. Um, they're deaf and blind to the secrets of the kingdom. And this is what Isaiah experienced in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 and verse 12. In Isaiah 6, 1, 1 through uh, 7 is this beautiful depiction of, of God saving a sinner. I mean, it's beautiful. It's the gospel right there. And so Isaiah is saved, his sins are forgiven, and, and God says, who will I send to go deliver my message to 
these people. Isaiah says, here, here am I, send me. And then God says, okay, Isaiah, you go. And, and let's just make it simple. You go and preach the gospel. And you, I want you to preach the gospel to these people that don't have eyes to perceive, don't have ears to hear. They're not going to listen to one thing you say, and they're going to reject everything you say. But you go. And Isaiah said, yes, sir, I'll go. What a job description. Go talk to blind and deaf people, spiritually, that is. They're not going to listen to one thing you say. Well, they can't respond if they don't have the prevenient work of God the Holy Spirit change the heart. That is because God has chosen them to be in his kingdom. God passes by some, and because God passes by some, I can't answer why, but I do know this, they will never be in the kingdom. But every single person that God ordains to be in his kingdom will be in the kingdom irrespective of the hardness of their heart. And for the outsiders, they they hear Jesus. Likely there were some outsiders there on the Sea of Galilee, and they're listening to Jesus preach his sermon from the pulpit in the boat. And they're going, what in the world is this guy talking about? I mean, I get the farming stuff, but what is this, you know, what does this have to do with this guy saying that he's teaching about, about God and, and about, about the kingdom? It's a riddle to them what Jesus says. They cannot understand. They cannot understand him. They cannot understand his mission. They cannot understand their sin. They cannot, he, they cannot understand their need uh, for a Savior. They, they certainly are clueless when it comes to this free offer of the gospel being being broadcast, and their problem is not a hearing problem. It's not a physiological problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a problem of a dead heart and a stony heart. It's a problem that is deep down within. We find an example of this. One of the saddest portions of Scripture, not the only, but one of the saddest in Mark chapter 10. Remember the rich young ruler? Came to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're a great teacher, yay. And Jesus, how do I get into the kingdom? I have done all of these things. These Ten Commandments have obeyed them, every single one of them, to the T. Perfect. And then remember Jesus saying, and I'm really summarizing greatly here. When Jesus said, okay, rich young ruler, you got a lot of money. Give away all that you have to the poor. And then come back and talk to me. What did the rich young ruler do? Remember, he turned away and walked away. He's an outsider. He did not have the ability to see his own idolatrous heart. He did not have the ability to see that his performance would not get him into heaven. He did not have the ability to see that obeying the Ten Commandments is not obeying, it is not a matter of obeying outwardly, but it's a matter of your heart. And Jesus zeroed in on his heart. And his heart was unchanged. And he rejected Jesus. So today, if you don't get it about Christ, it may be that you're an outsider. The end of Jesus' sermon, he who has ears... Let him hear. Seems at first odd, but actually, 
Jesus said that because of the purpose of using parables. To those insiders who had the ability to understand that story brought about faith and life. To those outsiders who did not have the ability to understand, there was a concealing unto judgment. So there's this revealing and concealing with regards to parables. And so what is the main point then of this parable? We've looked at the particulars. We've looked at, at why Jesus used parables. So in particular then, specifically, what's the point of this parable? We see it in verses 13 through 20. Jesus explains the parable. There's a sower, and clearly this sower is Jesus. There's a seed, obviously the seed's the gospel. There's the soil. The soil does depict the various conditions of, of the human heart. And then there is the sowing of the seed, which is proclaiming the gospel, the free offer of the gospel uh, to all people. It's one of the great things about our system of theology. It's based on the Bible, and the Bible says, listen, you go and preach the gospel to all. Don't discriminate. Sow that seed broadly and liberally. But we do see in this text that the, the seed is received differently depending on the type of soil. So Dr. Hendrickson, in his commentary on the parable of the sower, well, commentary on Mark, actually, uh, he, he gives these little descriptors of these various soils. The first one is the unresponsive heart. You know, that is to say that the seed falling on this really hard, compacted ground, and it really there's no way it's going to take root. And so they just, this individual is unresponsive to it. They reject it. They ignore it. And then there's the impulsive heart. The seed falls on this very shallow soil with rock underneath. And they just kind of grab it up. Oh, yeah, Jesus is great. And the first bit of trouble that comes, it all goes, right? And then there is the preoccupied heart, which, may, you know, so they, they, they receive the, the word. But then the cares of the world, the cares of life, maybe their own sins, God chokes everything out so there's no... No harvest there either. And then there's the responsive heart where the, the seed is received, takes root, and grows, produces a great, great harvest. But having said all that, you know, there are only two types of soils. <laughs> there are only two types of people in the world. There's the hardened person and there's the prepared person. There's the one where no harvest comes about, even though the seed is sown there. And there is one where a great harvest comes about. Same seed sown there. So here's the question then. Why does the sower in this parable seem to waste the seed on this bad soil? There are three types of bad soil. I remember one job that I had uh, during my, my college days. I was in the mountains of North Carolina. One Saturday I signed up to work on this road crew and there was this one stretch of road with this hill and there was erosion, and so my job, along with the others on this crew, was to, we spent all day Saturday preparing this hillside uh, for seed to be sown on it so that erosion would be controlled. We had to move hay bales and shovels and picks, and it was this hard work. All day, 99% of the work was done in preparation. Then this big old truck comes by with a hose and sprays the seed on it, and then we had to... To, to spread uh, hay on top of it to keep the seed in place, and that was it. 
All this work to prepare, then whammo, the seed is, is sown. So as I'm reading this parable, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this, this sower seems to be very, very wasteful here. That's not how we planted seed back in Boone, North Carolina. But remember what a parable is. A real life situation that Jesus uses to teach a spiritual principle. So what's the real life situation here? It's a little bit unusual for us because we spend all kinds of time in preparing the ground so that we can plant our seed and not waste any of the seed. But in the first century Palestine, the agricultural technique, as crude as it may sound, was the guy sowing would probably have an apron, have a bunch of seed here, and he would just go out and just start throwing seed. And that seed would fall on the hard, hard soil, that seed would fall on the shallow soil, that seed would fall into the soil that had all these thorns and thistles and weeds. And, and then, after sowing all of this seed indiscriminately, he would then go and plow the seed in. That's the real-life situation that Jesus is talking about. And as we understand that real-life situation that Jesus is talking about, even though the different types of soil are important, they become less important, and the sower and his plowing become the main point of the parable. And I want to quickly go over three implications here, and the first one is this. The sower sowed to release judgment. The sower sowed to release judgment. The veiled nature of, of the parable that I described earlier resulted in the spiritually blind and the spiritually deaf not getting the meaning of the parable. And that's the way parables operate. In Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, in verse 10, the last statement, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In other words, in Isaiah saying, um, Isaiah, you go and preach to these people who are, who are spiritually deaf and, and spiritually cannot perceive. You know, they don't have the ability... But if they did have the ability, they would turn and be forgiven. And so it sounds like here that Jesus is, is quoting this as if to say, wait a minute, concealing aspects of my kingdom from those who are outside means that they'll never get in. In other words, it, it, it sounds like Jesus is saying that their spiritual blindness and deafness is God's will. And that is what Jesus is saying. And here's the point I want to make that those whom God passes by, they're already spiritually deaf and spiritually not able to perceive. Jesus doesn't make them that way. God doesn't make them that way. They're already that way by, by nature, and he simply passes them by. But God has a right to do that. In Romans 9, the, the, the potter in the clay declares that God has a right to choose some for noble purposes and some for ignoble, to choose some to be in his kingdom to pass by Others. It's a hard truth, but it's a biblical truth. And their act of rejecting the Word of God is just further evidence for their judgment. And so here we see the sower sowing for judgment. In other words, the seed is not wasted on that hard ground that will never receive it. And if today your heart is hard, 
and the seed has been sown and you're unwilling to receive it, may God take his divine plow and till your heart. The second implication, sower sows to release judgment, the sower sows to release grace. When God gives us a new nature, we're, we're like that prepared soil in, in, in the parable. The earplugs come out, the blinders are, are removed. We're able to receive the news of our sin, and we're able to receive our need to repent. We're able to receive the news of Christ as the Savior, and we willingly, uh, irresistibly uh, flee uh, to Him. And what's interesting is that, you know, there are many that are elect today that are yet, that have yet experienced saving faith because God's timetable for them being regenerated has, has not uh, come. And so when the gospel is proclaimed to them, it's, it's just like, you know, someone that will never get into heaven. It's a riddle. What is going on here? But at some point in time, one day, the gospel will no longer be a riddle. Jesus will no longer be a troubling enigma. He will be viewed as their Savior. Why? Because God's timing has worked, and God does that work of regeneration, and they respond to it. And so today, there may be someone in this room that is elect, but has yet to come to saving faith. We need to keep sowing the gospel seed knowing that God is sovereign. Maybe someone in your family that you're just really concerned about, they're not walking with the Lord. They don't care about the Lord. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't lose heart. They may be elect, and it's just not God's timetable for them or for God to plow till that heart. But when He does, they will respond. And they will come into Christ's kingdom. And when they do, and those of us who are already in the kingdom, we're, we're part of that great harvest yielding 30, 60, and 100. It just simply communicates the vastness of the harvest. And I want to encourage us with this today, that when God plows, it's irresistible. <laughs> when God works, it's irresistible. His kingdom is coming and has come. Is, it is coming. It's going to come. It's irresistible. Nothing can stop it. The hardest-hearted person you know, if that person's elect, nothing can stop that person coming into the kingdom. Nothing! That family member that you weep over, nothing can stop them coming into the kingdom if they're elect. Because God's work is irresistible. Come on, Amen! And third and finally, we're called to sow the word irrespective of the soil. Um, we sow confident that God will release judgment or grace. And, um, you know, we, we may know people that, that are like that, that, that heart that's described in the, in the walking path soil, and we, we proclaim the gospel to them. We see no effect. It can be so discouraging but our job is to sow. God is the one who plows, plants, and grows. And so we need to sow, brothers and sisters, liberally. God is either going to work it for judgment 
or he's going to work it for grace. Either way, he's, he's glorified. One of our missionaries, Pete Mitchell, whom you know, Pete and Ruth serve in France and have been there for many, many years, and we're blessed to have them. Pete was, was in town at our missions conference, and we were just talking. He said, you know, ministry in France is like trying to plow concrete. And I knew exactly what Pete was saying. Maybe you feel like that at work. When you're trying to encourage people with Christ at work, it's like plowing concrete. You just can't get anywhere. It's just total rejection over and over again, right? It can be very, very discouraging. So I know exactly what Pete's talking about. I think, think you do as well. But you know what? Here's the deal. We're not called to plow. <laughs> we are not called to plow. That's God's job. And so here they're sowers, sowing this seed out indiscriminately, and God takes his little tiller, and he's going, oop, there's my elect, till, till, till. <laughs> and when all is said and done, every single elect person is going to get plowed. It doesn't matter if it's concrete. It doesn't matter if it's shallow. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's just full of weeds. It's going to get plowed, and it's going to produce a harvest. Here's the glorious thing about this passage. Here's the main point of this passage. God plows concrete and brings about a harvest, a vast harvest. He is gathering his elect and the natural hardness of men's heart doesn't stop him one bit. He just plows it under and gives them a new heart. Your heart may be hard today. And I, I have a feeling that most of us know someone with a really, really hard heart. Be encouraged. If they're elect, God is going to plow it. And they will be in the kingdom. You see, the parable of sowers about the sower. And his irresistible work to bring his irresistible kingdom to bear one day in full. Let us pray. Our Father, we humbly ask you to do your work of grace in our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that, that you would prepare us now as we come before the Lord's table. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.